Hello, everyone. Welcome to... <laughs> Did I wake you guys up? Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. We're live. We're live. Why? Oh. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. Welcome to... Suddenly feeling quite presidential there. <laughs> what? yeah. What's going on? <laughs> huh? no, never mind. <laughs> we're getting very controversial. Never already, mind. Never mind. Yeah, never imagined what it would be like to be a child molester. Controversy <laughs> over. Okay. <laughs> My goodness. My goodness. Welcome to A Reason for Hope. We, yeah. we dug it deep already. We're, we're hitting we the go. ground running here. Reason hey, for if Hope. If you knew I wasn't going to push the envelope, do you really know? <laughs> I do. Yes, I do unfortunately. Know you. Yes. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> Glad you said it. Yeah. You said that. Hey, welcome. This is a reason for hope. <laughs> it is. A reason for hope. To the is CIA your sniper. I am the one on the right. to send in questions on the Bible. That's right. If you have questions on Scripture, God's Word, the Bible, or anything related to that, uh, maybe lifestyle things, things you're going through in your life, or specific verses, any question you have, an honest question about the Bible. We uh, receive those through our multiple online platforms that we're streaming to right now. And uh, we have two wonderful guests here who love the Lord, love his word, and love to answer your questions. So my name's Dave Robson. I'll be receiving those questions. I'll be going over those platforms with you in just a moment, but I'll be on there with you as your questions come on in. And I'll throw them out here to our guests. So again, if it's a, as long as it's an honest question, as long as you know that the answers are coming from God's word, the Bible, then it's all fair game here, and we're very glad that you're joining us and sending in your questions, because again, it guides our content for the day. With us today, we have father and son duo here, our senior pastor, Scott Richards, and... I'm the father. You're the father, okay. Thank you for clarifying that. He's the... He's the target. son. Yep. <laughs> He's the target, yes. And Pastor Sean Richards as well. You guys doing good? Welcome yeah, back, well. Scott. Yeah, you had fantastic. You jaunt out to uh, California. We're glad to have you back. Yeah, fantastic uh, journey. Really uh, some amazing, fruitful ministry that uh, took place out there. And I didn't get washed off the highway by Hurricane Hillary. Yeah, you were having to time your trip to try to <laughs> avoid the... Uh, you know, it, uh, just an aside, but, um, you know, in the uh, don't believe everything you see on the Internet... Uh, when I was uh, planning on leaving uh, for uh, this uh, memorial and to see my family out there, uh, you know, Hurricane Hillary hit, so I had a delay for at least a day. And then I got online to find out if um, Interstate 10 was in fact uh, open. Well, they made this big deal about how it was closed outside of Palm Springs. Yep. And uh, so I, I went online, I saw this picture. It looked like half the freeway had fallen in and this huge gushing river is running by. I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh, this isn't going to this take five years to fix. Uh, then I came back like about an hour later or so to find out, well, maybe I can find some way around there. And uh, they had a uh, uh, correction. Turned out the picture they were showing was a scene from the Universal Studios flash flood special effects on the tour. Oh, gosh. Not Interstate 10. <laughs> but we <laughs> need to renew trust in our institutions. Yeah. Yes. So... Um, that's ridiculous. I, I, I remember there used not to be not even a good line. I, I, yeah. I, I remember there used to be the old joke about they couldn't say it if it wasn't true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they, well, they, I mean, they, they can show it even if it's not true. special effects and these like you know deep fake videos they have now. It's going to be really hard to tell what is true and what isn't. I mean, they have you that guy does tell. Tom Cruise and. You can barely tell sometimes. You can barely tell what's true and what's not, and that kind yeah, of, well, and it gets better all the time. Second so. Thessalonians chapter two says the only way that we're going to be able to discern uh, truth from a lie is to receive the love of the truth mm. in order that we might be saved. If yeah. you don't love truth, you can't know it. Right. So, Amen. Well, that's yeah. what we're all about here: yeah. reason for hope. Right. So, giving people a, a, the reason for the hope that's in us. Yeah. 
and navigating through God's words. So these are definitely interesting times indeed. Well, as I, as I mentioned, A Reason for Hope, it's a live broadcast. We're live with you on multiple platforms. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here Mountain Standard Time in Tucson, Arizona. It's where we are streaming from here at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Keep that in mind when you're trying to find us um, on those platforms, Calvary Christian Fellowship, and that will help you out. You can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. That's our church website here. Have a little click around while you're there. We have so many things going on, Bible studies and support groups and different events. We have a movie night coming up showing uh, Jesus Revolution and uh, all kinds of things. So don't be a stranger. Click on that events page and you can see all the things going on. Uh, but for tonight, the Watch Live tab, if you go there, that will take you out to our live page. Anytime we're streaming, we're live on this page, whether it's our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship or... Um, or Reason for Hope, Monday through Friday, as I mentioned. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to next show. You'll see a schedule of upcoming events as well. But as we're live right now, you'll see that video playing right there. You can sign in with a username. And there's a chat function that you can send your question in. And I will be checking those as we go along. ccftucson.online.church. You can type that right into your address bar. And that will take you to that page as well. ccftucson.online.church or follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com. That's a great home base for you, especially if you're one that doesn't like to be on social media. A lot of people are kind of boycotting social media more and more. So calvarychristianfellowship.com, that's a good home base. But if you are on Facebook, we're streaming there as well. Facebook.com slash CCF Tucson, or just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship on Facebook. Uh, don't forget to like and share. We'd appreciate that. We'd love to get the word around, have more people uh, be part of uh, this broadcast. Uh, but yes, we're live right there, and you can send your question in through the chat function there that's attached to the video. We have an app as well for your mobile device. You've guessed it. Look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Look for that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dub logo. You can download us on your phone or your iPad, your mobile device, and watch us on there as well. And we have a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well. If you have those devices or smart TV, look for our channel in your channel store. We are live on YouTube as well. Look for A Reason for Hope. That is the name of the channel on YouTube, A Reason for Hope. It's also a great place for archived uh, shows. If you missed anything, it archives there automatically for us. We also post uh, questions of the week as well. So if you go to that live tab, again, anytime we've been live, you'll find those videos there. So uh, that's for you on YouTube. And once again, don't forget to subscribe and like and all that good stuff. If you click on the notification bell, then you'll get a little um, notification when we're live and you won't have to miss anything. Our pastor Scott here is on Twitter. Scott Arthur H is his handle. Scott letter R number followed H where he posts uh, funnies and shenanigans and tomfoolery, but also commentary on world events. There's so much going on in the world. Um, we certainly live in interesting times. Um, so if you're interested in following along with that, uh, things going on in the news as it relates to end times, and prophecy and uh, how it relates to the Bible and all that kind of stuff. So Scott Richards on uh, Twitter, Scott R4H. You can follow along with him. We're on Rumble as well. We're not live on Rumble, but we post videos there. A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A. You'll find us if you're on that platform. And then, of course, we have an email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. It's questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com. You're welcome to send your question there as well, and we get to those on the show. If you're listening to us on Reach Radio or one of the other radio affiliates, we're sure glad that you are joining us. But keep in mind that you are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded, so we're not live with you on the radio, so to speak. But uh, do use that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. 
and we'll try and get to that on our next show then i guess you'll hear it on the next day after that it's quite a few days there but uh when you're home and it's safe to do so consider joining us on one of those other platforms if, if you would like to be live with us so with all that being said i think i covered everything we love to pause to pray because as we talked about we're handling god's word and his truth and in these days where you get all kinds of fake news and stuff we know that the the lord's word is true that's breathed out by him and we want to handle it well and yes. accurately yes. so yeah. why don't we pray pastor scott it's good to have you back would you like to pray for us i would love to that'd be great yeah. father i thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to explore your word today and there's so many exciting things going on so many things that would cause us to uh, look up because uh, the time jesus of your return for us is drawing near it's nearer now today than when we first believed so help us to uh, explore 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 your word and uh, to uh, come away edified exhorted and comforted because you have spoken to our hearts. I pray that we would know you better at the end of this broadcast than we do right now in a very personal and wonderful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Uh, is there anything you want to update us on? Sometimes you give us a little news update. Well, or... uh, fairly big development yeah. uh, happening uh, kind of under the uh, undercover in the Middle East, but it's going to probably be um, in broad daylight before too long. Interesting uh, op-ed in the Jerusalem Post today, uh, written by uh, Mordecai Kedar, who is a retired IDF colonel, a uh, very renowned uh, commentator on events in the Middle East, highly respected. The headline goes like this, don't let the Saudis have any role on the Temple Mount, put Israel in charge. Um, and uh, what uh, Mordecai Kedar goes on to uh, elucidate here, fascinating, it says talks reportedly recently have begun in Israel about giving Saudi Arabia an official status on the Temple Mount in addition to or as a replacement for Jordan, which has had custodian status of the Temple Mount since 1994. The reason for these talks is to move forward normalization with Saudi Arabia. Granting such status would be considered part of a quid pro quo for the long-awaited peace treaty with Saudi Arabia. From a realistic view, uh, the Muslim world today uh, Israel must reject outright any attempt by Saudi Arabia to obtain official status in Jerusalem for several reasons. And Mordecai Kedar goes and on and gives uh, seven pretty compelling reasons uh, for doing so. The first, Jerusalem has been the capital city of Israel for more than 3,000 years. And the place of the temple has been the heart of the Jewish people since the days of David and Solomon, 1,600 years before Islam came into the world. Any renunciation of full Jewish sovereignty over the site of the temple is interpreted in the Muslim world as a Jewish renunciation of the very existence of the Jewish religion, something that undercuts the very reason for the existence of the state of Israel. And he goes on to say, would it occur to Muslims to give up full Muslim sovereignty over the Kaaba complex in Mecca or allowing, say, Israel to administrate that? Probably not very likely. In uh, the article, I would encourage you to uh, take a look at it at uh, the Jerusalem Post. But uh, in the article, some uh, fascinating uh, observations are made. Uh, he points out uh, that uh, there are a number of historical mistakes that have been made regarding the Temple Mount, which is why it tends to be a spiritual hot potato and a political hot potato even to this day. So the first was when Moshe Dayan handed over the administration of the site to the Jerusalem Waqfa Islamic Religious Trust in 67, with an understanding they would not object 
to his illegal archaeological activities. The second mistake was giving the Jordanian kingdom its status on the Temple Mount in 94 on the assumption that the Jordanian king would keep the PLO and Hamas away from the compound. They have not. Uh, he goes on to say that the Temple Mount is the focus of attention for extremist organizations like the Islamic Liberation uh, Party, Hamas, and the northern and southern factions of the Islamic movement, among others. What they all have in common is they're burning hatred for the Saudi royal family. Mm. Any clash between Saudi Arabia and these organizations could ignite the flames of conflict and the blame would fall on Israel. Uh, you know, it's uh, fascinating, and Sean, you can probably uh, elaborate on this, but one of the fascinating things about Islam is the division in Islam into two factions. One, the dominant faction, which is Shiite Islam, Sunni Islam, and then the smaller faction, which is Shiite Islam, the one practiced in Iran. Uh, those two factions don't think very highly of each other, do they? No, and when it comes to understanding Islam at its foundations, that's where this divide took place. It wasn't a religious one, it's a political one. And if you think that there's a distinction for most Muslims, you're really not paying attention. Because when it ultimately comes down to the division that has literally sparked and continues to drive multiple wars throughout history. It's all been centered around the right of succession of who was the rightful heir of the founder of Islam, who they refer to as Muhammad. Now, Muhammad's claim as prophet also included with it the claim, and this is in the Quran, that he has no successor, that he is the seal of the prophets, if you will, the, the capstone of God's revelation to mankind. So with that then in mind, the Shiite group would countermand that with the claim that Ali, one of his adopted sons, is the rightful successor to him and that those who carry on this prophetic lineage also carry with them the same borderline deification that Muhammad enjoyed during his lifetime. The Sunnis obviously are supporters of the traditional views, the Sunnah, or the life lived out of Muhammad, the biography, would go straight to the sources. And even more so today, Salafism is the intention of modern-day Muslims to want to get back to the original 7th century mindset. It would be the kind of uh, mindset we would have towards Christianity if we were to become Muslims. We'd want to go back to our perfect example, how he approached things, how he lived, how he viewed and exemplified the Quran. Mm. So when we hear news of the Saudis, modern-day proponents of not only Sunni Islam, but also of Wahhabism, this modern-day attempt to dominate the Temple Mount, we've told you, again, horror stories of our encounters with the Waqfa, they're not nearly as passionate as the representatives that would be sent over, since the institution for the promotion of virtue and the prevention of vice, in short, the religious police of Saudi Arabia, are known, and we have documentation of this, the most direct example that I could give for your benefit would be Nabil Qureshi's own testimony where he begins and ends his book with the testimony of a Christian woman who was murdered by her brother for even claiming that Jesus' way was superior to that of Islam. And, of course, her martyrdom was the foundation of why what you believe matters. Her brother, being a member of this religious institution, would then be put in the position of monitoring the goings-on. And, like, 
again, I was saying earlier, the Jordanians were strict enough. So this is not going to be profitable for the well-being of the Hebrew people. But the point being made is this. That's the divide, is whether Ali or the man appointed by Aisha's name was Moisa, was the rightful successor, literally caliph, after the third rightly guided caliph Uthman, so, or fourth rightly guided caliph. And, and to us, that doesn't make a whole lot of difference, but to them, it's all the difference in the world. It's the difference between life and death. Yeah. So, you know, the interesting how you've got that division going on. But boy, you talk about that division, and this is the, the most fascinating paragraph uh, in uh, this uh, particular article, uh, and uh, I think it, uh, it really bears uh, some attention on our part. Uh, the the uh, colonel goes on to say, uh, lastly, and these are his reasons why uh, Saudi Arabia should not uh, be administrating the Temple Mount. Wahhabi Saudi Arabia may try to lower the centrality of Jerusalem in the contemporary Islamic discourse. Since according to Islamic sources, the original Al-Aqsa Mosque, the one mentioned in the Quran in uh, Surah 17.1, is located in Saudi Arabia, near the village of Jarana, about 30 kilometers northeast of Mecca. Yep. So uh, the, the Wahhabists, uh, it, that's not uh, hot sauce, by the way, uh, but uh, <laughs> they have gotten Saudi Arabia into hot water. Uh, the the royal family of Saudi Arabia has been able to maintain their power by essentially bankrolling and supporting this very radical strain of Islam. Uh, and uh, they, they literally owe uh, their continued existence and power there to them because uh, if the Wahhabists are no longer bought off and supported and given these luxurious lifestyles and so on, uh, then, well, uh, Katie barred the door for the Saudi royal family. But the interesting thing is this, according to this, that if this, uh, the Saudis are given administration over the Temple Mount area and the Wahhabists begin to say, well, why should we really even care about the Al-Aqsa Mosque there? Because the real Al-Aqsa Mosque is here in Saudi Arabia well, again, uh, the article says any such attempt by the Saudis may arouse the wrath of all the parties mentioned above and blame them for uh, blame for bringing them into the uh, sensitive equation will be squarely placed on Israel. Israel's the problem here. Now, the, the fascinating detail about this prophetically is that the question always comes up. And if you go on a trip to Israel with us and you visit the Temple Mount, the question always is, okay, how could the Temple Mount be built when you have the Al-Aqsa Mosque uh, there uh, and the Dome of the Rock, uh, these two shrines that were built purposefully uh, for the idea of uh, preventing the Jews from building their temple on its historic site? Uh, well, you take a look at the, uh, the architecture and the layout of it all, and uh, you realize uh, that uh, the uh, people that built the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock may have been quite wrong. Uh, as far as where the original temple was, that there is more than enough space to build a functioning temple on the additional courtyard area of the Temple Mount and uh, put some kind of a dividing line in between it. Well, this would harmonize beautifully uh, with what we see in uh, Revelation chapter 11, that uh, there would be a uh, rebuilt temple and that uh, the Temple Mount area would be divided 
and that there would be a certain amount of this Temple Mount area that would be given over to the Gentiles for at least three and a half years, uh, according to this prophecy. So, you know, the question always comes up, well, you know, how in the world could they rebuild this sort of thing? You know, how could the Antichrist, for instance, make this strong covenant with many nations uh, and uh, allow uh, for the rebuilding of this temple? Well, if the Saudis are able to sell the idea that the real Al-Aqsa Mosque is, in fact, in Saudi Arabia and not on the Temple Mount, Mm -hmm. well, the reason for the conflict goes away. Uh, those two Muslim shrines are no longer the third holiest place in Islam. Mm-hmm. The actual Al-Aqsa Mosque uh, that is so venerated as the third holiest shrine in Islam is in fact uh, freeway close to Mecca in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it would be very interesting to see uh, when we talk about uh, this strong covenant that Daniel chapter 9 mentions the Antichrist will enter into that will allow the rebuilding of the temple on its historic site if this is some of the underpinning that is involved here, because we are told many nations, including Saudi Arabia apparently, are going to be a part of this deal, and they're all going to agree to play nice at least for three and a half years during the tribulation period. The Antichrist is going to bring in that kind of peace there. Uh, And the Jewish temple is going to be allowed to be rebuilt on its historic site. How interesting if this could be the big compromise and uh, sold to the Islamic world of saying we're going to make this a fabulous place where Muslims of all different denominations can come here. Uh, remember, Saudi Arabia has already signed a peace treaty with Iran, uh, and uh, they're they're hated uh, rivals in uh, Shiite Muslim Islam. So uh, it may be uh, that we're seeing some of the uh, shuffling that uh, is going to be necessary to make this prophecy come to pass. Mm. Of course, there were people in uh, the uh, early part of the last century who thought, how in the world could Israel ever return to their native homeland? Uh, The Jews will never control that. How in the world could they possibly have their own nation? Well, World War II happened. The bad conscience of the nations as a result of the Holocaust moved the United Nations to uh, fast forward uh, beyond even the objection of the British Mm. uh, for Israel to have its own territory. So, Uh, We've seen God uh, move heaven and earth, if you will, to bring Israel back as a nation. It would be very interesting if what we're seeing are some of the rumblings of the moving of heaven and earth to uh, see a temple built on its historic site. And this is just an aside, but even from a secular perspective, understand why you need to be involved in this sort of thing. There's three possible outcomes to the Saudis getting involved politically and directly with the Temple Mount. Is First of all, if truth matters, well, they wouldn't be Muslim, but that's an aside, then the buffer zone, essentially, that has prevented Israel from being nuked off the face of the earth has only been because they house one of Islam's second holiest sites short to the Kaaba in Mecca. Now, what's interesting is about that, you take that away and you realize there is no grounds to this apart from the conquest policy, that when they take over a region, they build a mosque on top of religiously significant sites. Mm -hmm. The example historically of Muhammad when they were asked about whether or not they should use catapults and trebuchets and may possibly damage Muslim homes in the city, they said they too are martyrs in the great struggle, jihad. So collateral damage would mean nothing, and hopefully those who are on the secular side of this issue won't want to see innocent Arabs killed along with innocent Israelis. That would be disastrous. The second thing is that assume they 
keep up with the lie. And they say, well, no, this is the farthermost mosque, the Masjid al-Haram and all that other stuff. Then you have essentially, like we mentioned before, even more radical Muslims. The recruiting force that sprouted ISIS is now at the dead center of Israel as well as Hamas in its surrounding borders in the mm -hmm. Gaza Strip. That's bad, mm -hmm. not just for Israelis, but also for Arabs. Innocent people will die. Mm -hmm. The third possibility, and this is the lightest scenario, life's going to get a lot more unpleasant for everyone involved, not just on the Israeli side, but also on the Muslim side, because those who take pilgrimage to Mecca also may consider a time in Israel and going to see the Dome of the Rock Mosque are going to have to deal with these politically enraged activists on the regular. And if you have the option to have a crazy person <laughs> harassing you during a family vacation or not, or at least a less crazy person, mm -hmm. I, I vouch for the less crazy. That, that, that I'm controversial in that as we know, but if you have the opportunity to avoid a drop in sanity, that's what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. So even if you dismiss prophecy, even if maybe this isn't something that you would concern yourself about, innocent people's lives are on the line right. when it comes to these sort of things. And the Saudis, specifically the Wahhabis, have no problem shedding blood if it ultimately is performed by their zeal because they come from a culture where, and this is a conversation between two of the most prominent figures, one of uh, Muhammad's companions was talking to one of another one, one of the caliphs, and he said, I knew that the person was speaking, was saying something wrong, but I could see by the heaving on his chest that it was true. Mm. Reality doesn't matter, just the passion that's expressed, which right. is why they have to resort to murder to preserve their religion. This is serious, not just for prophetically for us Christians, but for the well-being of innocent lives. Keep yeah. that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for yeah. keeping Fascinating us updated we'll with keep that. You, we'll keep you posted. Please do, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we've got some great questions coming in. Thank you, everybody, for being part of the show and sending your questions in. Uh, question sent in from an anonymous lady. Okay. Uh, this Anonymous. Anonymous, yeah. <laughs> um, this is quite the question and quite the situation. My heart goes yeah. out to you. She says, help. I found out my spouse is transgender and I had no idea until uh, they came forward. What do I do? Is it grounds for divorce? What does the Bible say about that? Great, great question. Thank you for uh, sharing with us. Now, I know you want to remain anonymous for obvious reasons and that this situation obviously is not going to provide a lot of clarification so we'll just go. And it's go. more common yeah. than you'd imagine. Mm. Especially nowadays. There's three I things. Why? to be the wake up and smell the coffee guy but go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Why would you not disclose <laughs> that? I'm just kind of wow. Well there's three scenarios that we need to take into consideration that will all deal with the mindset that inevitably is going to come up as far as the terms of this relationship going forward. First of all, in terms of this all being set for grounds for divorce, when someone identifies as transgender, what essentially is happening from the Christian worldview is the spirit of autonomy, which is considered a virtue in our day and age, specifically in regards to their sexual practices, is being taken into their own hands rather than laid at God's feet or even societally, if you're from a secular perspective, saying, I'm going to, you know, match the times rather than my mood or my interests. Mm. When we as Christians, and this is the 
first big if. Your spouse calls themselves a Christian. What you need them to understand is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians in noting the standards for sexual practice and the lines that we draw and don't you know, violate between each other, is that the man does not have authority over his own body, but the wife. And likewise, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband. That there's this mutual understanding that we're in service to each other, Mm -hmm. not to ourselves. So for a person in any context, but specifically a marital context, to take that autonomy on themselves and say, I'm going to literally reshape myself in the image of whether it's a passing fad, whether it's a skewed version of reality, whether it's a legitimate mental disorder called gender dysphoria, or to use the modern vernacular, them being true to themselves. Note the terms are all self-focused, self-centered. If they call themselves a Christian, then they need to consider the Christian definition of marriage, not just the heterosexual aspect of it, but regarding the fact that your exercise and these surgical augmentations even are in violation of your wife or husband's wishes. And that needs to be respected given that it's the foundation of marriage. However, if they're not a believer, in the same book, by the way, Paul deals with this in the span of two chapters, he also notes that if you're in the context of being married to a non-believer, what would be, and sorry to, you know, give you the layup here when you didn't even know you were in the game yet, but when we're put in a position where you're in an unequally yoked relationship, as they say, that someone who doesn't have Christian values, and by the way, shouldn't be expected to, hold themselves to Christian values, even if it was an agreement before the marriage that inevitably falls apart. When you're married to a non-believer and their non-believer lifestyle start to manifest, what is the Holy Spirit, by the way, advice for someone in that kind of situation, regardless of how it's manifested? Yeah, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, the Apostle Paul deals with this because, uh, again, very early on, in the history of the church, there was a huge controversy. Uh, one spouse would become a Christian, the other would be devoted to paganism. Well, what do you do yep. under a set of circumstances like that? Well, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and verse 12, the apostle Paul writes, but to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if a brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? The, the priority is this idea of sanctification, if mm. you will. The unbelieving spouse is sanctified. Well, that doesn't mean that just because you're married to a believer that you're going to get into heaven. Right. You know, God has no grandchildren. He doesn't have in-laws either. Uh, you know, you're either a part of the family of God, you're a saint, or you're an ain't. Uh, it doesn't matter uh, who you're related to or who you're married to. Uh, but to as many as received him, to them he gave the right become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So what is this sanctification all about? Well, sanctification, interestingly, the, this word refers to the process by which we are exposed and changed and transformed by God's truth. 
And uh, an individual who is a non-believer, who's married to a believer, has a front row center seat to be able to see the veracity, the, the power, the reality of what a born-again life is really all about. Yep. Uh, not just in words, but in deeds. And so that exposure, if you will, not just to say the unbelieving spouse, but also the children that might be a part of such a marriage is such that Paul's essential advice in this set of circumstances is stay married mm. if you can. Now, if the unbeliever decides to split, well, then you're not under bondage in such cases. But the, the key question is, how do you know a wife whether you will save your husband? Well, not in the sense of saving anyone, but being that vehicle that God can yes. use yeah. to save somebody. How do you know Oh, husband, whether you will save your wife, be instrumental in bringing them to salvation. Mm -hmm. So I guess bringing it down to this very horrific set of circumstances, like yeah. I said, more and more common these days. Uh, you, you, you'd be shocked and surprised. Wow. Uh, maybe not. But uh, the, bringing it down to all of this, I would say as long as that other person is saying, uh, I don't want to be divorced, um, I would make every effort to be able to stay in the marriage, but say, um, if we're going to have a marriage, the marriage that I entered into, the agreement, the covenant that I made with you was to be in a Christian marriage. Mm. And this is what a Christian marriage looks like. One man, one woman committed together for life. Not one woman getting together with a man who dresses up and pretends like he's a woman or has some surgical augmentations to simulate that still got the same XY chromosome doesn't change uh, and and what I would say is hang in there as long as you possibly can but if it becomes apparent that this person is not going to move and not is is not going to transition if you will uh, back into any kind of a healthy marriage then I would say that uh, there is an interesting scripture in 1 Thessalonians 4 yeah. about not defrauding your brother in such cases. You were going to mention that? Well, just kind of building on the same point and emphasizing that as our third. When we're talking about the two things that we could know are God's will for us individually in our Christian lives. The first is a positive, the second is a negative. The first is in 1 Thessalonians 5, where it notes, Pray without ceasing, rejoice always, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So what's God's will for my life? Start there. Attitude of gratitude, constantly aware of God's presence and seeking that communication and fellowship wherever possible, and noting that, acknowledge when things that good, when good things that are good have come because they're getting rare, right? But if on the other hand, you're wondering, okay, if that's what I should do, what shouldn't I do? First Thessalonians chapter four and verse three, this is the will of God for you, not subtle, your sanctification, there's that word again, to be cleansed and set aside for a new purpose, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Notice it doesn't specify homosexuality, it doesn't specify pornography, it doesn't specify any specific deviation from God's purpose. It's sexual morality in that, not that. And it goes into the passage that you were reading. It notes that we should know how to possess our vessel, our body, using the same language he used in the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians, mm -hmm. in sanctification and honor, not like the Gentiles, those 
terms, the term Gentile just means those nations that weren't Hebrew, those who didn't have access to God directly, who don't know God, that no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in this matter, for the Lord is the avenger of all such. Right. Now, if you don't have a fear of the Lord, you don't have any concern or regard for this non-existent judge that's not going to judge you because he doesn't exist, then you're going to live your life accordingly. If you do know that you'll answer to God for the way that you're living your life, hopefully you will live accordingly. But here's the point and special point in emphasis. I'll name drop because it is relevant to the conversation. Uh, one of the more prominent individuals who did exactly this question means doing uh, associated with the guy Mr. Beast, by the way, not the Antichrist. We'll say it a third time just to be clear. Uh, his name was Chris Tyson. Started out as a Christian, married a good young Christian woman, had a son with her, started to embrace the hedonistic lifestyles that are known to be popular in the world, especially on social media. Started grooming his son, started cross-dressing him, staking photos of him, exposing him to the sort of people he was sharing company with, and then ultimately announced that he is a woman now. Abandoned his family, that's the line, and of course hasn't looked back since. The heartbreaking stories regarding his wife and what she's been going through are why we're grieving along with you in this, if this is your situation. But when it comes to the example of Chris Tyson, when was his wife in the place where it became divorce material? It was when he decided his pleasure was more important than his covenant to her. Mm. And since obviously we're seen through by the fruit in his life, hopefully mm. he will repent, but as a result of his decisions, he will answer to God for what he did. She will also answer to God for being a faithful woman insofar as she could. Right. She bears no guilt before the throne of God, and neither do you. But let them make the second mistake, not you. Hmm. Don't return one mistake for another. Don't cut off this potential ministry where you can be a voice of reason in the midst of whatever influences were causing him to think or her to think that she or he was something other than what they were biologically made to be. Yeah. And this is the point. And I know I can hear the YouTube censors already clicking their buttons, but this is the point that we're emphasizing. Truth matters, judgment matters, and of course, marriage matters. Insofar as depends on you, this situation is a fantastic ministry, a difficult one, but no more an opportunity or lack of opportunity to show the grace of God than if, say, for instance, you found out your spouse was watching pornography, your spouse was entertaining an emotional affair but hadn't physically interacted with anything yet. Terms of the relationship had been violated because they put their sexual interests above the covenant they made to you exclusively. That's what's happening here. And when we put a modern term and one with real political heft behind it, people get nervous because they think, oh, it's different. No, it's not. It's an opportunity for you to show the grace of God, and if they ultimately decide to sever that relationship, make sure that it's on them, not on you. That's mm -hmm. how we deal with the situation. Yeah, and again, feel free to keep on the anonymous moniker, but keep us updated how we can pray for you because this isn't going to be an easy situation, yeah. but know that there is hope. Because most people who go into these sort of fads, if they don't commit to surgeries, usually within two to three years will move on from them, unless they have a lot of financial and social reinforcement behind them. So know that there is hope. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's pray. Yeah, Father, I want to bring uh, this uh, uh, wonderful woman before you who's uh, really trying to do the right thing, reaching out for help. Mm. Lord, we don't know who she is, but you do. And you know exactly the circumstance she's in. I pray that you would come alongside of her and allow your word to be a lamp under, your, under her feet and a light under her path, and that she would take just each day, each interaction, 
in this set of circumstances as an opportunity to be able to honor and to glorify you as you give her the power to do so. And, and that, uh, Lord, she wouldn't go through it alone. I pray that she would seek out, uh, not just in, input on the internet, but I pray that she would have a church family that could surround her with wise people that can pray mm-hmm. for her and encourage her and guide her to the right scriptures as each of these challenges and this outrageous set of circumstances come up. And Lord, we pray for this man. Well, we pray that you would speak to him. We pray that you would allow Christ instead of culture to become his uh, GPS heading in this life, that he would realize that it's not too late to turn back, that he can repent and receive your forgiveness and your restoration and a brand new life. And who knows, uh, perhaps as a result of that, this couple could be used powerfully to be able to minister to others, so many others that we're running into in this set of circumstances. So love on them in a special way, we ask in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Amen. 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 Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for that question. Obviously, a very, very difficult situation. We hope that encourages you. And uh, like and we're, you said, we're really your, honored you'd bring this uh, this question to absolutely. us. Absolutely. Like, and like you said in your prayer, don't go it alone. You definitely need support in this. It's not going to be an easy road. Um, yeah. So thank you. A uh, question from uh, Kim Kim. So good they named them twice. Um, is there such a thing as guardian angels watching our children? Do they fight guardian demons? Uh, because Satan is always looking for someone to devour. Um, lots of talk about guardian angels. Yeah. Very common opinion. Well, guardian it, it, it was certainly uh, one that was uh, catching some attention back during the time of the book of Acts. If you remember when uh, Peter was released from prison miraculously by an angel, uh, let him out of the jail, we were told that the uh, church was praying earnestly for him, came to the uh, home of uh, Mary, the mother of John Mark, uh, and wanted to let him know that he'd been sprung from jail, uh, and uh, knocked on the door. A little servant girl by the name of Rhoda answered, uh, saw that it was Peter, was so freaked out, ran back and said to the gathered group, hey, Simon Peter's out there. And they said, you're beside yourself. You've lost your mind. Uh, And then some said, well, maybe it's his angel. And, And there was a legend that went around that every person had a guardian angel and that they probably looked like you if they were to manifest themselves. So that's where they got that that point of view. Um, Do we have angels watching out for us? Well, the book of Hebrews chapter one and verse 12 tells us that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. So angels, in a sense, are on duty protecting us and watching out for us in the spiritual realm. Uh, We're told in Psalm 91, for he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways, that you might not dash your foot against a stone. Mm. Tread upon the lion, the cobra, the the young lion, and the serpent, you'll trample down. So there is this angelic involvement that is involved in the lives of believers. Uh, any angel that is worth his salt, however, is not going to call attention to themselves and their particular ministry. We see in Revelation chapter 19, the Apostle John falling down and worshiping the angel who is showing him the marriage supper of the Lamb. says, see that you do not do this. Yep. Uh, I'm a fellow servant of Jesus. Worship God for the spirit of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Hmm. Now notice the angel saw himself as a fellow servant of God. Just a different kind of entity, a spiritual entity versus a flesh and blood slash spiritual entity that we are, uh, you know, but he saw himself just in that, that serving role, not as someone to be worshiped or focused on, but someone who was designed to point people to the person of Jesus. So 
a few years back there was a real fad about angels there was a hit song angels watching over me and yeah. bumper stickers don't drive faster than your angel can fly and angels people, in the outfield and yeah, all that stuff yeah people mm. wanting to uh, find out if they could find out who their angel was or what their angel's name was and all of that i think was really maddeningly unhelpful and I think any angel worth his salt would be going, oh, don't focus on me. Yeah. Focus on the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy Graham had a book called Angels, God's Secret Agents uh, during that time. And I like that because angels do their best work just like a secret agent, undercover, not bringing attention to themselves, but uh, representing the one who sent them. So, um, you know, uh, do as their guardian demons uh, no evidence whatsoever that that's the case. Yeah, it's uh, almost a contradiction in terms. When we're, we say the word angel, that means something. It's not a what they are, it's what they're doing. The word angel is translated from malach in Hebrew. It literally means messenger. It's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They have a message, and they're communicating that. If you call someone a guardian angel, you're giving them two jobs. If they were anything, they'd just be a guardian. And we don't have necessarily scriptural evidence for that unless they're dictated specifically to fulfill that role. Right. They can. Note that. But are they just like, that's all they do? No, they, they're very busy, especially <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> but uh, when people are wondering, well, what about, and this is the big one, Psalm 34 and verse 7, where it says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Right. Well, notice in the context of that passage, it's not designating any other person in the passage than the angel itself. And like we see in Revelation 19 and 21, the angel's not going to accept worship. We're not to fear the angels. We're to fear God, to worship God, to regard and reverence him, respect him in that biblical sense of fear. So David's point in Psalm 37 wasn't that, oh, we all have our own angel. The angel of the Lord in that passage is the same angel of the Lord that guided Israel through the wilderness. It was the same angel of the Lord that appeared to Moses at the burning bush, the same angel of the Lord that was worshipped by Joshua outside of Jericho, the same angel of the Lord that was sent as the person Jesus Christ. It's God yeah. who's encamping. The presence of God is with us the around same, those who he's The same him. one who said, I will never leave you and never forsake you. I, yeah. not my representatives, not right. my mailmen. Right. So that's mm. the point that's being made. Guardian, demon. Well, demon just means adversary, diabolos in Latin. It's shaitan, take your pick. It's an enemy guard that, that doesn't fit you. It's, it's not as if there's some demon designed, uh, designated to us either. They've got stuff to do. So the point being made is this. Note terms, note biblical consistency, and then note as well, no angel or demon obsession. Focus on the Lord and let him sort out the entities that are in his jurisdiction. Yeah, and mm-hmm. if I can offer one other encouraging word on all of this, whenever the, uh, the subject of angels and demons comes up, uh, inevitably we gravitate towards, oh, demons, and they're doing this, and, you know, demons under every bush, and so on. Uh, Revelation chapter 12 tells us that one-third of the angels fell with Satan. Those are the demons today. Uh, and mm. that sounds pretty daunting until we step, take a step back and realize that two-thirds did not. Right. That means that uh, Satan's outgunned two to one. Yep. So, and God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, plus and, God. <laughs> and, and God plus one, as Martin Luther observed, equals a majority. Yes, yeah, yep. yeah. <laughs> 
But that TV show, Highway to Heaven, with Michael Landon, that was absolutely true, right? Please tell me that was true, because it's my favorite show growing up. The thing that I thought was really true was when he, as an angel, uh, saw a guy parking in a handicapped spot, and he turned his car upside down. Yeah. <laughs> that, I think, is true. Yeah. Rest, Those are my favorite yeah. moments where he just lost it. <laughs> it's like, that, I just can't that, take it anymore. That explains some things. Yeah. 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 No, not true. Not but a great show. But anyway. Well, Kim Kim, thank you for that question. hope that helps you out with that. Thank you for asking it. Question from Rob the Truth. Uh, how should we as Christians respond when it comes to conspiracy theories? I know some conspiracy theories have merit, and most are absolutely unnecessary, but should we even concern ourselves with them? I feel that they take away from time we can use studying the Bible, but I wanted to get uh, your perspective. Or I, I, perspective. I have a favorite verse about this, yeah. and this can save you lots and lots and lots of time. All right. It's found in the book of Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 11. It says, for the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You know, I, I love that because... Do you have anything it, more specific? What, <laughs> what it's saying is this. When conspiracy theories get floated and you hear about the Illuminati and you hear about the World Economic Federation and you hear about uh, the Freemasons and you hear, you know, and, and you go online and they've all got these very elaborate uh, graphics they're showing you about these things and oh my gosh you know they're sacrificing children and they're getting them all amped up right before they die so that they can get the best kind of blood out of them to preserve their you know it goes on and on and on i've seen the fema camps yeah you know so uh so the, the the bottom line though is this as soon as you start going down that rabbit trail and you know you start uh, you know trying to chase down the cabals and mm -hmm. and uh, do they have uh, space monkey parts at uh, Wright Patterson Air Force Base and uh, you know these sort of things. First of all, you'll never know. Right. You'll never know. I mean, it's just an endless sort of uh, spiritual junk food, if you will, right. that people get into. You know, some people like Twinkies, I guess. They like the sugar rush, mm -hmm. but that's all you're going to get out of it because yeah. it's really going to lead you to a whole lot of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think you hit the nail right on the head, Rob, the truth, uh, when you said it's taking us away uh, in speculation from revelation. Now, here's, I guess, where I bottom line it. You know, people are saying, well, what about unidentified aerial phenomena? What about uh, submarine UFOs? And what about, uh, you know, these uh, things are, these hearings are having on the Hill and, and so on? You know, you know knock, knock yourself out if you want. Here's the deal. We are a visited planet, not by robot Amazons from the planet Stinky Pinky, but by God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He proved it beyond a shadow of a doubt, by being virgin born, living a sinless life, teaching like no one has ever taught before or since, uh, taking that sinless life, that miraculous life that even showed power over death itself, and dying in our place in a cruel Roman cross, rising from the dead in a moment of history that can be verified to the satisfaction of any fair inquirer historically to show us that God himself has visited us, not the United Federation of Planets, not the Klingons, not you know, you name your favorite alien species. 
um, that's where we need to focus. Yeah. And, in, you know, these things are interesting and, you know, uh, they, they, they tend to uh, uh, tantalize us a little bit. And what if this and, and, and you yeah. know, people will say, well, could this be part of uh, the last day's deception? Could be. Could be possibly. We answer that question uh, from time to time on the program. We're not afraid of shying away from it, uh, afraid to shy away from it. But uh, the bottom line, though, is we'd much rather focus in on what God has said. If God really has visited us and has spoken to us about the ultimate issues, what's the meaning of life? What lies beyond this life? Yeah. How can we make a soft landing in the afterlife? How can we know personally the author of life? We should run, not walk to our nearest Bible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's where we leave it. Great. Well, great. Rob, the truth. Any conspiracies you'd like to share with us? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tell you, this is just blowing my mind right here. I got the files right here, and I could show them to you, but they'd have to kill me. But if my comments at the start of the program have not already made me a target, you see red dot on me, I'm telling you, it's all real. So it's like World Wrestling Federation. Oh, yeah. That, that's what Alex Jones based his persona on. So. Wow. Well, I yeah. hope, uh, hope that helps oh, you. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I hope that helps you out. That brings us a lot of peace. That's great. Where was that verse again that you, Isaiah, you read from? Isaiah chapter 8 and verses 11 through 14. It's a good one for sure. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for that. Question from Yari. Uh, will God give us a new name? Um, there is a new name written down in glory in its mind. Is this literal or symbolic? Will we get a new yes. name? Yes, it's literal in that you will be given a new name. We're told that in Revelation 2 and 3, but we're also told that there is meaning to that literal reality, so there is a significance to it. Uh, There's also noting that Jesus will write on us his new name, so note that point of ownership. That's a reference, by the way, to the book of Jeremiah, where it will be not God our Savior, Yeshua, but Yah-Titsitkanu, Good luck pronouncing. Bless but you. That's, uh, that's the name that will know him, God, our righteousness. So mm. take that as a point. Uh, we also see Jesus having a name written on him, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Word of God. Yep. Uh, in Revelation 19, it is second coming, chapter uh, 19, verses 11 and onward. But noting the significance of that new name. Uh, names in our day and age, they usually are just either associated with a loved one, something that we find nicer, meaningful. But in the ancient world, they actually took the issue seriously they would name people in association with their personality some kids wouldn't be named until months into their life until they could have an understanding of who they were if they had a spiritual calling they'd be named in association with a great event maybe uh, Ichabod's a great uh, curtailer of that at the end of first uh, Samuel 4 I think it was yeah. uh, he was named no glory or the glorious departed because of the moment he was born, it was at the time when the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines. Mm. Uh, Jacob was named Foot Grabber because that's literally what he was doing to his twin brother when he was born. Uh, When his twin brother was born first, they named him Esau because uh, there's some inappropriate things I could say, but let's just say the word means hairy, fill in the gap. But the point being made is just this. When we're talking about the significance of a name. Our name in heaven will be in a line with God's new identity for us, our identity in Christ, not just in tandem with his name, but something significant that he'll have for each and every one of us. Uh, if you get too obsessed with this, I've had conversation with people saying, I got a, pri- I got a private revelation that <laughs> the Lord <laughs> gave, me, gave me about uh, my new name in heaven. I'll bless their heart. I'll find out later. But the point being made is just this. When Scripture tells us something, if it can make sense literally, it probably is. If it's not a reference to something that's obviously symbolic, like Revelation 12, for instance, then just take it at face value. If we go, is this symbolic, meaning it's not literal? 
it has meaning, and literal things can have meaning, but the meaning is curtailed in Scripture, and you can read exactly what its meaning is in the passages that you read and hear about that new name. Speaking to the seven churches, you belong to me, and I have a new identity for you in me. He who is in Christ is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, what is new has come. So, yeah, cool. yeah. Revelation two seventeen is the verse that says that uh, we'll receive a new name written, which no man knows except the one who receives it. So that tells me something. Um, God is going to give us a new name. We won't know till we get there. Mm. But Sorry. it'll sum up beautifully the the work He's going to do. And you know, you talked about the names and sort of the uh, the uh, riffing off of that. You know, one of the most fascinating names of significance that we find is in First Chronicles chapter four fellow by the name of Jabez. Mm. His name literally meant pain or painful mm. because his mother said, in pain, I've borne him. Uh, he was the guy who came up with the famous prayer. He said, uh, again, right. God, that you would bless me indeed, that you would enlarge my territory, that your hand would be upon me, that you would keep me from evil, that I might not cause pain. And it mm. says, and God granted him his request. Mm. So uh, Jabez, his name that meant painful, uh, God turned it around, turn around yeah. as a source of great encouragement. He yeah. was anything but a pain when God was done with him. Right, so right, absolutely. Fascinating. Yeah, we don't really think about the names and definitions so much these days, but like you say, in biblical times, they were definitely meant something, and yeah. uh, we took those on. But some people don't even know what their name means. You have to kind of look into that. But Well, great questions uh, today. Thank you so much for being part of the show today. Wonderful questions came in. I hope that helps you all out. We're going to be going live again in uh, about 30 minutes with the book of Ezekiel. Am yeah. I right? Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, the sin everybody has, but no one thinks they have it. Whoa. How about that? Stick around if you want to find out <laughs> what that is. I think we should stick around to find out what that is. Well, and if you, if you can't join us, uh, like I say, in 30 minutes, then do join us again tomorrow, same time, same place, same faces. Yes. Tomorrow, yeah. Yes. Three of us will be back. Yep. Lord willing, and we'll see you then. God bless you. Thanks again for being part of A Reason for Hope. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.